Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome to the Potterverse. It's a podcast dedicated to the book and film universe of Harry Potter. So grab your favorite wands and time turners. Let's step into the night and pursue that flighty temptress adventure. and welcome back. My name is Mary Larson. My name is Blake, and this is why I don't go into graveyards. Don't do it. I just stay away from them. I don't go near them. It's just ain't nothing good coming out of graveyards. Nothing. Just you, you can't. It's only creepy. It's the creep factor that just keeps me away from. <laughs> and now that I have this this mental picture of Voldemort just being, you know, at a at a graveyard. Just yeah, no, no thanks. All set. Mm. All th- I don't. I don't do graveyards. That's okay. I don't like going. That's totally okay. Like I like. I know. I know those those people that like do the graveyard, like the the Seances. tombstone rubbings. Oh and, yeah. You know it. Listen, hey, to each their own. Okay, that's you fine. You haven't come with me to Mercy Brown's grave, right? Yes, I have. Oh, yep, I did. So you've done graveyards. Yeah, uh, that, that was a one off. Just going to see a vampire graveyard. Yeah. NBD. <laughs> and well, if you're going to go to one, you might as well go to that one, right? Like <laughs> on the scale of going to like some graveyards or that one, I, let's go check out a vampire. Hey, sure. Why not? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, Google that, my friends. Mercy Brown. Yep. You're welcome. <laughs> that's that's a great Rhode Island thing right there. Gotta love between Rhode Island and Salem. We've got all the weird There's stuff. Just a lot of weird stuff. The Amityville Horror, that's in Connecticut. You know, and the then Conjuring House, that's the Conjuring here in Rhode House, Island. that's here in Rhode that's Island. About Twenty minutes away. There's like so much weird stuff. Here. Yeah, you know, let's get back to Harry Potter, where there's nothing weird happening. <laughs> 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 okay, everybody. So here we are, Chapter Thirty Two: Flesh, Blood, and Bone. <clears throat> All right, you ready to get? Oh, yeah. Sorry, this is the uh, this is when you do the quote. This I is when I do the quote, and I just feel like the quote needs to be from far away above his head. He heard a high, cold voice say, kill the swear. I like that I messed this up. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been looking forward to this chapter? All I wanted to say was kill the spare, and I just said, kill the square. <laughs> <laughs> Let me redo. Let me redo, please. <clears throat> From far away, above his head, he heard a high, cold voice say, kill the spare. A swishing noise and a second voice, which screeched the words to the night, Avada Kedavra. A blast of green light blazed through Harry's eyelids, and he heard something heavy fall to the ground beside him. The pain in his scar reached such a pitch that he retched, and then it diminished, terrified of what he was about to see. He opened his stinging eyes. Cedric was lying spread-eagled on the ground beside him. He was dead. (sighs) Not great, Bob. No. Not great. No. <laughs> it was I mean it was either that or like Voldemort was back, you know. So that's what happens, guys. It's yeah. sad. Yeah. What do you say we uh we get into the episode, shall we? Please. Let's do it. I solemnly swear that I'm up to no good. <sighs> well, 
before we do, though, we want to remind everybody that if the Potterverse brings some Lumos in your time of Knox, you can actually join our patron community at jointhenerdclan.com. Um, that's how you can contribute to this mom and pop podcast shop for as little as $2 a month. Less than a cup of cocoa, by the way. It is National Hot Cocoa Day, Hot Chocolate Day. Is it really? Yeah, the day that we're recording this, it is. I kind of wanted to do a taste test. I didn't think that hot chocolate required a day. Listen, man, everything gets a day right now. You Everybody gets a trophy. Celebrate everything. <laughs> celebrate it all. Uh, so, you know, I hope that you yourself get to have a little hot cocoa on this beautiful day. So in this chapter, just as a little mini recap, this um, this is the chapter where Cedric dies and Voldemort comes back. And it's only six pages long. Yeah, it's a relatively short, straightforward chapter that... Those two things happen. Yeah, and it gets you... Well... Uh, as as short and as straightforward as it is, I, there are, I think there are a number of things that we can take from it. Um, you know, in particular, nothing nothing is sacred, right? There's no sacred cows uh, in in Harry Potter at this at this moment, right? I don't even know what that's supposed to mean, but sure. Well, meaning like nothing is safe. Right. Yeah. There's there's no sacred cow here. Like there's there's a little bit of hero worship with Harry, I suppose. But even he at this point, and he gets blood. Yeah, he gets bloodied. And it, actually, the author does something really special. Um, and, I, and I think um, <clears throat> sneaky important in this chapter. And we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But yeah, even Harry in this chapter is is kind of just. It, it could have been him, um, even though, you know, Voldemort didn't want Harry to be harmed. It could have mm-hmm. been him by chance. Uh, he is bloodied. He is battered. Uh, and this is the the turning point, like the, the specific turning point, I think, for the entire series. That's not anything new. That We all know that, right? This is when this goes from wee Hogwarts to... Ooh, there's a lot more backstory here. There was Agreed. it was alluded to throughout the series. It was approached in the third book, but this is when everything turns because uh, a kid who hasn't done anything to harm anybody, hasn't done anything wrong his whole life, just gets offed because he's a spare. Like, think of that. I know. I know. Breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart, friends. Oh, well, we are going to um, just kind of delve into it because, you know, there's really, there's not much to this chapter in regards to extra plot points, extra pages. As I said, it is six pages. This, I think this might be the shortest chapter in the entire Harry Potter series. And yet, probably one of the most pivotal (laughs) if not the most pivotal yeah and i think that that is why the author chose for it to be so short you you know as blake and i were preparing for this podcast um and we've had the flu come in this house we have different things come up i was laughing because i said this is gonna be a relatively straightforward episode because Mm. of its brevity when it comes to the amount of pages and the amount of words but the more i thought about it the author did this on purpose it couldn't get muddled with the magic of hogwarts it couldn't get muddled with more of fleur delacour or sure you know 
um, or of Harry dealing with Ron and Hermione, because this easily could have bled into the next chapter. They oh, easily yeah. could have taken this and just said, let's make it a big mega chapter. And the author made the choice to make a micro chapter, but to really end it with that punch. And of course, you're towards the very end of the book. So obviously you're flipping through these pages. I mean, if you got to this chapter and you were reading this for the first time, you just said, ah, to heck with it. I'm staying up. I'm mm-hmm. staying up. I'm going to finish this book yeah, at this absolutely. point. I do not recall reading this chapter um, and stopping. I mean, I I remember where I was when I read this book. Mm -hmm. I was at a water park. It was my senior year summer um, of high school, and I was sitting at the top of the water slide. (laughs) I wasn't even like a full lifeguard. I was teaching swim lessons to little kids, but then my real job Mm -hmm. was either working the tiki shop and making like the chicken fingers and the fries, but my favorite part, and the one I took all the time, was at the tippity top. You had to like walk up this hill. It's at our little ski hill here. We don't Mm. even have a ski mountain in Rhode Island. We have a ski hill. hill. (laughs) But they also like make it a dual thing. So in the winter, it's ski. In the summer, they have all these slides that go down the hill. And I would sit at the top of the water slide and made sure to space the kids out so that they didn't crash each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is what I would do on the rainy or cold days or early mornings when people were too cold to still go to a water park. I was reading the Harry Potter series and I like just I remember the feeling in my gut in this chapter. I remember, you know, because the rest of this book, I mean, we're just we're really living in the magical world. This is such a fun book. If you are someone who wants to go to Hogwarts or you're someone who wants to decorate your house with accoutrement, uh, that would be from I mean, I mean, if you have any Harry Potter swag yourself, if you wish you were if you've gone to the Wizarding World of Universal, um, you probably like Goblet of Fire because it's so immersive. Mm. And that is what those kind of things are. Going to Universal Studios, um, going to, you know, having your accessories around your house, that is immersive. And I feel like Goblet of Fire is so immersive. Mary says this as she has Hagrid's wand behind her. Where? <laughs> it's right there. Yeah, and do you see what I'm wearing? Yeah, and she's wearing a Harry Potter and the Cursed Child sweatshirt. <laughs> In my phone case is Hogwarts at night. It's a picture of Hogwarts at night. Oh, my You just goodness. looked at my drink expecting me to have a butterbeer stein. I did. Stein. I absolutely did. <laughs> I absolutely So people like me who love the magic, the whimsy, the world, this has been such a fun book, right? And you're just like, yay, Yule Ball, yay, fun stuff. Harry's doing all these crazy things. And then this is when it gets real. And this is when the series shifts. I mean, we joke all the time that Order of the Phoenix is emo Harry. I mean, he is. Well, there's some serious emo-ness. Oh, yeah. Emo-ness going on there. But like, we can't... We're and we will, we will. I mean, obviously, we're getting into the Order of the Phoenix real soon. But like, this is why it is so easy for us to be like, "Oh, Harry's moody. Oh, people leave him out. He's crabby." Yeah. But like, he sees an innocent child who was a friend of his, who he kind of held on a pedestal as yeah. being like the perfect all-star, like great Quidditch player, um, you know, stellar student, kind soul, killed in front of him. Yeah. And his worst nightmare, the person who killed his parents, who he has been afraid of for his entire wizard life, sure, comes back to life in front of him and kills. Yeah, and is the re- and, and like, like has that child killed. Yeah, and, and, so like Harry has PTSD. The entire, I mean, from here sure. on out, but like especially book five. And so it's going to be interesting for us to look through it because this is when Harry's life changes. Again. Yes, absolutely. And I would I would argue that this is when the wizarding world changes mm-hmm. for 
us as readers, right? Mm -hmm. Because in previous books, like I said before, it's always been, wee Hogwarts. But now, and we've been getting glimpses of this throughout the Goblet of Fire, you know, whether it is the the wizarding justice system and how that has worked with Karkaroff or with Ludo Bagman, right? Uh, But we're seeing Harry's eyes open up in a much wider angle now. Mm -hmm. And that wider angle allows for more connection to the wizarding world writ large. And by that, I mean, Voldemort at this time has always been on like the outskirts of Harry's life. Like, obviously he has been a main player in it, but it's been an indirect involvement, right? It's always been, he's been circling Harry's sphere. And when everything changes it's Voldemort who finally enters Harry's life very directly. And the beginning of this conflict that we know that is coming, it's mocked by the death of a kid. Like this is the first, yeah. this is the first act of now an all out war, right? This, this is, this is when the Rubicon gets crossed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I find it so interesting because, and we mentioned this in the, in the last episode mary the book has followed the structure of a typical harry potter book so far like we have we have harry he starts off somewhere he goes through trials and tribulations oh god i hate that saying he goes through uh problems and efforts out of them he uncovers somewhat of a mystery um about um well at least he thinks somewhat of a mystery about crumb thinking that he is crumb has turned crumbs the bad guy and he's gonna he's gonna win the triwizard cup with in hand in hand with uh uh cedric Mm -hmm. and you think yay we end of the book wrong the author does this thing where she says nope not only are we not ending the book we're diving even deeper here and it's gonna get real ugly and once that happens the the wee Hogwarts of it all is over. OVA. Yep. Because I Mary, do you think we ever get back to the magic of the first three books? Like like you know what I mean. Like the first no, three books do. are magical. We have moments of magic, but just like everyone who deals with great tragedy in your life, mm-hmm. loss of a parent, loss of a child, I mean, loss of anybody, any kind of grief, um, any kind of huge tra- tragedy that you witness or you go through, that is there. I, um, you know, Blake and I have shared, of course, that we had two miscarriages last year and that grief is here with me always. And I saw a really great physical depiction of, um, you know, how people kind of deal with grief. Because, you know, Blake even told me this when he lost his mom, like when it first happens, when you have that loss, it is there every day, constant, you are, you know, in it fully. But then as time goes on, um, you know, you think about it less, it 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 absorbs your mind less. Um, and so I've kind of wondered how, how that would be for my own grief. And I saw this visual of grief and it was someone who had like it was like a bell jar like a a jar and it Mm -hmm. said grief and it was like a liquid inside let's just name it red liquid and they said people think that over time your grief shrinks and they showed like a small amount of liquid Mm -hmm. inside the jar and they said but actually you grow over Mm -hmm. time 
and that other things fill the jar and the liquid is still the same amount. The grief is still the same amount, but the jar itself now is much bigger. And so I think that that's what happens. Harry's grief and trauma from Cedric's death and Voldemort coming back and even us as the reader our shock and our sadness for losing Cedric and our fear that Voldemort comes back, it doesn't get diminished because we still have the magic in the whimsy because that is thrown in. That is so thrown in. You know, we get those moments. Thank God for Fred and George. We get those moments. Thank goodness for, for Ron and Hermione. You know, we get these moments from other people. You know, we're going to get little like heartthrob moments from Cho Chang Mm. next year. Um, And it doesn't, mean that our grief for Cedric or our fear of Voldemort or Harry's is any less. It's just that he continues to still grow. Yep. I think one of the books that does a great job of balance work is actually The Half-Blood Prince. Because as emo as Order of the Phoenix is Mm -hmm. and as dire and somewhat depressing as The Deathly Hallows is, The Half-Blood Prince is a book that does the magic and the whimsy and the spontaneity of Hogwarts, but you still have everything that happens with Dumbledore, right? Like, you still have these moments of Snape, I'm not a coward. Don't, you know, don't call me coward. Like all those, you have all of those moments, but at the same time, it's, it's, we, we're, we're injected with the love potion and all that other stuff. That's why I really, really, I, I'm looking forward to Half-Blood Prince again, mm-hmm. because the last time I read it, geez, was back in 07. So like, I'm. Shame. Where's I'm, that shame button, Blake? Oh, oh, I know, right? I gotta, <laughs> uh, here it is. I got it right here. <laughs> Shame. I I look forward to seeing what that is going to look like. Um, I would say that Goblet of Fire balances things, but I I don't think that it does as good of a job as uh, Half Blood Prince, and I definitely don't think it does as good of a job as Azkaban, right? Because yes, there is whimsy, there's magic, and there's all the stuff, but it's so dominant throughout the book, and then it is bookended well i'm sorry it is marked by the end of what's happening here and that then it's when it all takes a turn and 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 of course it's it's only fitting that when voldemort comes back harry's world explodes and the the war injects itself into harry's life and you can't help but have the um what's it called you can't help but have the world expand around him uh, and things become a little bit more bitter, a little bit. Because at the end of this book and with all the things that have been happening, I question whether or not the Wizarding World is as pure and as magical as I think as you think that it is. But like, isn't that how everyone's childhood is? Isn't that everyone? You wake up one day as a child, maybe, you know, a 14 year old, and you realize your parents aren't superheroes, that they mess up and they mess up big. Yes. Or that your teacher, oh my gosh, you see your teacher out at the supermarket and they have a <laughs> life. Like, like the whole world, and this is more like little small things, but we all have those moments generally around these early teenage years where you start to become more cognizant about the fact that there's homeless people, the fact that there's uh, death and destruction in the world. I mean, this was, this was the age, um, 
you know, where we had to start doing like, I'm just thinking about our own high school times. Like we had to start doing bomb drills and all this kind of stuff, you know? So, um, I'm saying that, there are things that happen, and because I know we have young listeners, like there are things that happen as you become a teen um, where your eyes are more opened to the more darker, scary things of this world. And you, you start to realize that not everybody's your friend. Yeah. No, not everybody's your friend. In fact, there are out there, there are people that, out, that are out there that are actually actively mm-hmm. trying to hurt you. I mean, I mean, like maybe not necessarily you, not but like you the royal you. Don't worry. Like, <laughs> like th- there are people that are out there that will actively hurt somebody for the sake of hurting them, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's emotional. That is physical. That is uh, in any way that you can think of. There's a hurt for it, mm. and there are people that will enact that hurt, uh, and 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 even as you get older, you start seeing that the people that are in charge. Uh, of things don't always make the right decisions Mm -hmm. they make poor decisions because you know uh, maybe they just made a mistake or you recognize something is up with this person and maybe they're making a wrong decision on purpose Uh, and it's it can get difficult it can get difficult to see good it can get difficult to see uh, what makes you happy and you have to <laughs> constant vigilance, right? Like there's probably not a coincidence that Mad Eye Moody or Faux Moody says this at the yeah. beginning of the book. You have to have constant vigilance, and that's true. Every day, every day is a new day, mm-hmm. and but it's also it also brings new challenges and it brings new hardships. And Harry at this moment is exposed to this hardship uh, in uh, in a in a big way. In a big way, with Cedric dying, and dying in such a useless and frivolous manner, mm-hmm. right? And not only, but it, it, but in a in a frivolous kind of way, like he's treated as nothing more than like a paperweight. Yep. Kill the spear. Kill the sp- like that. He's not even referred to as a human. Just kill the spear. Yeah. It's, it's sad. Uh, it is jolting. Uh, it reminds me. I don't. I don't like. <laughs> I don't like mixing <coughs> shows or stories here. But it almost reminds me of the Red Wedding. Well, this is a kid friendly. No, no, no. I know. I'm not going to get into it. But for those of you who watched Game of Thrones, it reminds me of the Red Wedding. I, I remember when I read that book. I, when that chapter happened, I like, I threw the book across the room and I was like, I can't right now. Mm-hmm. I just can't. And I imagine that as a reader, when you haven't seen the film yet, when you, when you hear this chapter, you probably get the same feeling. Is that the case? Because Mary, you saw the Red Wedding on the show. Did you get the same feeling? that was totally different so i'm sorry i can't like box no that's it fine differently. no that that's fine i understand i get it uh, but it just it is what it is you know um so as we move into this and i just think it's so incredibly sad this whole chapter the boys of course get the horcrux and they're questioning cedric questions was this part of it did someone tell you that 
this was going to be a, a port key and that we were going to travel somewhere yeah. because they're thinking, is this something else? Are we not yet done? Here we thought you get the cup, da-da, you're done, but yeah. maybe we're not done. And Cedric, of course, is the one that says, let's pull our wands out. And Harry's comforted by that. He's comforted that Cedric is the one that pretty much says, like, I'm scared and I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's certainly a microcosm for the entire book, mm-hmm. right? This this one chapter is representative of not only the turn that happens in this chapter, clearly, but the turn that happens in the story on a, a macro scale. Yeah. Right. And then uh, through the mist in front of him, he saw with an icy surge of terror, a dark outline of a man. Oh, wait, this is before when he's coming out of the cauldron. Um, sorry, I, want, I have like my little quotes out. But what's interesting is that Harry and Cedric see Wormtail coming out through the mist in the fog. And um, they don't run away. They don't hex him. They don't do anything. And reading it, you know, so many times, I was wondering, like, why didn't they do something? Like, could Harry have done something? But they had just come back from, like, a, a sphinx and who was doing riddles right. and all these things. So they had all these scary kind of creatures, a bogart, like, come at them. One of which was just talking to them that they didn't right. even necessarily need to fight. So I think that there was a reason for that hesitancy, even if it was just a couple of seconds of hesitating, of shooting a spell at Peter Pettigrew. And then, of course, Harry has the worst headache of his life. Yeah, it brings him to his knees. And makes him vomit. Yeah. Like his headache is so bad because I have had some people who've wondered like, well, why didn't Harry Expelliarmus or block the spell that was going mm. to be hitting Cedric? But we have to remember... This all happened so quickly, but also Harry was incapacitated with pain. Yeah, and this is the thing that I mentioned earlier that I wanted to get to, Mary. The author does something that I think is really important, and she gives Harry a complete out in all of this. Because the the, the natural question, Mary, that you brought up is, why didn't Harry do anything? What is Harry's culpability in all of this. And the author makes it so that Harry doesn't have any culpability. Mm-hmm. She whisks both of the boys away and it completely disorients them. Harry is already hurt. She makes it so that when Peter Pettigrew appears, even though he doesn't know that it's Peter Pettigrew at that moment, Harry is incapacitated. As you said, he's vomiting. He uh, drops his wand. Drops his, because ev- of everything. Ha- like he is unable to move mm-hmm. because he is so um, bowled over by pain. So it gives Harry a complete out in what happens to Cedric, mm-hmm. right? But the author also does something really important as well. Later on, when Peter Pettigrew is making the potion or whatever the heck it is for. Voldemort to go into she mentions that Harry is held so tightly that he cannot move Mm -hmm. like there is no movement whatsoever all he could do was just watch this tying him from neck to ankles right and this is another instance of the author giving Harry or making sure that Harry has no culpability whatsoever she incapacitates him so that he cannot prevent Wormtail from getting his blood. He cannot prevent Wormtail from dropping Voldemort in. Mm-hmm. And all he can do is just wish that the little blackish, black, reddish, whatever it is, little uh, inhuman baby drowns in the cauldron. Mm-hmm. And that's all he can do. That is so important to 
Harry's character and keeping him uh, 100% innocent in all of this. Did you find that Harry had any culpability in it no. well, when you first read it or whatever? No. I mean, and mind you, because I was in such a frenzy, I didn't stop, you know, week mm. by week, chapter by chapter. I was just flipping through the pages at the top of the water slide. Um, <laughs> but no, you're just there frightened with him. I think, you know, for so much of these books, we're there with Harry. You know, we are are sitting next to him, living this with him. So you are frozen and unable to fight as well. And I thought that that was really neat that we as readers feel as helpless as Harry to stop what we see coming. Sure, sure. And of course, what ends up happening is um, Peter Pettigrew goes through this whole ritual. He creates this potion to bring Voldemort uh, back to life, back to his his bigger back to a bigger form and what's interesting we'll hear it more in the next chapter when Voldemort does his maniacal bad guy speech <laughs> but obviously we know in book one Voldemort was able to stay alive on the back of Quirrell's head by drinking uh, unicorn, unicorn blood. blood yes and then in the beginning of this book he asks Peter Pettigrew to milk I don't remember not a cow a not unicorn a <laughs> Nagini. Oh, uh, yeah. He milks uh, Nagini. That's right. And mind you, he's I remember, not, qu- I remember questioning yes. whether or not. Uh, so technically, snakes milking had a venom, milking a snake is getting its venom through its teeth. There's no I got nipples, Walker. Um, <laughs> Can you milk me, Reese? Uh, please, Blake. <laughs> oh, this is how you know it's bad. That I'm like, oh my gosh, stop. Um, when I call uh, you our son's name. Uh, so he's been living off of unicorn blood, and he's been living off of snake venom. And we get to actually see Nagini in this chapter. Nagini isn't named. Yes. Nagini's just this big old snake that's coming through, probably peeping like, cool, a new dead body for me to eat. Yep. And then, of course, he has this potion that he has put into. And we know that he needs the bone of his father, which, interestingly enough, is just the dust because the bones have decomposed by now. Whereas in the movie, we get to see a whole bone. Yes. Um, and the flesh of the servant. Okay, it just says flesh. It doesn't say a whole body part. Give me a hand. Give me just another finger. You know, you already lost one, so let's chop off another. No, Might as well. literally the whole hand. So gross. And then, of course, the blood of the enemy. And uh, Voldemort makes this choice. He has tons of enemies. Sure. He has tons of enemies, but he's made this choice that he wants Harry Potter's blood. And what is so interesting about this choice is that this seals Voldemort's fate. Yes, because he was so intent on making Harry uh, the the thing the the avenue through which he could live that it dooms him, mm-hmm. right? And it goes to show you the kind of well, this is this greed? blood. No, this blood protects Harry. Like right. when, and the very end when he Avada Kedavra's Harry, right. and Harry ends up in what we see as King's Hashtag Cross. Um, yeah, whatever. This is this is how we roll. Um, Harry doesn't fully die, right. and it is because of this blood that was already inside of him. That's yep. and how interesting that like at this point Voldemort doesn't know that Harry himself is a Horcrux. Right. So he's now putting Horcrux blood inside of him. Um, but I've had a lot of other people, you know, even if our, kid, our kids have asked like, why does Voldemort come back? Kind of with this snake like face. It's mm. different. In the movies, he has red eyes. He has he looks a little bit more snake like in the in the book, but he's been living off of snake venom, right? And probably snake venom might even be part of this potion at this point. Sure. Who knows what other weird stuff? But he's been living off of snake venom. So Either way, of course there's, he's there's snake DNA. Back. Consider it like Jurassic Park. Yes, you know you just fill in some of the gaps yes. <laughs> with a frog, mm-hmm. but th- in this case, it's a snake. So I just find it so interesting that these little things are kind of put forth that are going to have uh, big repercussions 
whether Voldemort knows it or not. Right. And he does it in a way so that he knows that Harry's blood allows him to gain access to Harry. Mm -hmm. But that access is like he can he can harm Harry now. Right. He can touch. He can touch him. But also when he tries to cast a spell against him. That doesn't work. Right. So that's the thing. He can touch him now. He can physically harm Harry, but- a He can tickle him if he wants to. But a spell can't can't do it because the two are now tethered. The, mm-hmm. No matter what, one cannot live without the other. And uh, you wonder how much uh, one cannot live while the other lives, whatever the heck the prophecy says, right? Mm-hmm. You wonder how much that influences the author- uh, in the next book, knowing that Harry's blood is in Voldemort, and is is Harry is Harry able to be exceptional, knowing that his blood is running through Voldemort, right? Like because we we have talked about Harry's exceptionalism throughout all of these books, and the exceptionalism has really been due to the fact that a curse failed. It, there isn't anything one could say a spell worked. Not that a curse failed, but that Lily's spell worked. Glass half full, Blake. Glass Fair. half full. But it was Dumbledore <laughs> himself that says those words. Yeah, but also it's Dumbledore. I mean, hello. <laughs> for the greater good not necessarily always glass half full kind of guy fair enough fair enough i don't know it, there's just there's a level here of reality and exceptionalism combining and clashing in this mm. chapter yeah and I, I i it's a it's a really interesting mix and there's no fluff there's no like there there's no um extra words like it the the one part that is kind of flowery, but it's mm-hmm. not flowery at all. It's like it is brutal in its description is when Voldemort's re- revealed mm. as, you know, when uh, what's his name is holding him. Like that's a brutal description. The baby? The baby. Oh, I've got a weird fan theory that I've read about about what's the that? baby. What's that? That Bertha Jorkins was pregnant. Oh. And went away to like have this baby or something else, which I will not say in this podcast, um, but went away because mm-hmm. she was pregnant. Oh. And that Voldemort like possessed or like put well, his the way, soul yeah, well, the into way that it's, the baby. The way that it's described is that it's baby shaped, but it is inhuman. I mean, I'm just picturing what we saw in the movie, yes. which was the tossed in little thing and the thing that we see in King's Cross. Yes. So I'm visualizing that, but I'm just saying that there's this fan theory that exists that because Bertha Jockins would have been in the child rearing age. Sure. Um, she was the same age as the Marauders. Um, she went yeah. to school with, with all of them. Um, but just, just an interesting little fan. It's theory an interesting fan theory. I will but no other evidence is given, so do not go down that uh, train, my friends. But, <laughs> but it is interesting that it is just called a baby, but also keeping in mind the age demographic that these books were originally written for, visualizing a baby-shaped sized thing mm-hmm. makes sense to all. Sure. And I, Mary, you said it. The length of this chapter is... Uh, succinct. It's, it's, it's succinct, and it's, it's abnormal uh, as it relates to the rest of the series. 
and you're right, Mary, I, I think the author had intent here, and I think the author really needed to write something that was clear as day. That way there is no confusion. Mm-hmm. There is no misunderstanding. Voldemort is back, and Harry, uh, Voldemort kills Cedric. Harry can't do anything about it. That's it. That's what it comes down to. And it it, it 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 takes his exceptionalism and it makes it totally null. Any exceptionalism that we have found in Harry throughout this entire book, whether he is good, great, or brave, whatever, it's all null in this chapter. Mm-hmm. His agency is gone and it's all as a result of Voldemort. It's an interesting chapter. <laughs> Who's naked and needs a robe. Robe me. Robe me. <laughs> Come on, bro. Put your own robe on. Oh, he's, uh, he's Voldemort. Lastly. That's how he rolls. Lastly, uh, I, I found this and I want to read it. Um, it's I, I think this was, this was a cool pull here. And it says, there's a yew tree in the graveyard, which is a clever tie-in. Yew is associated with death and also the same type of wood that actually makes up Voldemort's wand. Mm-hmm. According to the Potterverse, uh, no, well, <laughs> according to, you know, the, the world of Harry Potter, a yew wand is meant to confer the power of life and death to its user. This does not <laughs> to mean... To its user. <laughs> yeah. ah. This does not mean that the person who wields one is automatically evil. In fact, it could be precisely the opposite, that they are a great protector of life, in fact. But yew wands do have a tendency to choose epic personalities and they have reputations for dueling and curses. Mm. All interesting stuff. And if you note too, um, there was a yew t- uh, there was a yew tree uh, at the house uh, at the beginning of the book as well. The, uh, the author makes mention of it. Mm. So, speaking about the author, um, apparently the author, when she told her publisher about the infant baby coming to become (laughs) the risen Voldemort. Mm. Uh, Her publisher was deeply disturbed and nearly vomited. (laughs) Well, the way that she wrote it, I mean, I gotta, I gotta find it because if, if you can vamp for me for just one minute, but that's why the rumor is about Bertha Jorkins. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm vamping. Yeah. Vamping. Um, I mean, there's not much left to vamp about. The hand that our Peter Pettigrew Wormtail cuts off, of course, is going to play a significant role in the future. So okay, if it. you're still with us and you have not read the, the series, but you don't mind all our spoilers, just note that it's going to be important. <laughs> all right. He could hear noises at his feet. He looked down and saw a gigantic snake slithering through the grass, circling the headstone where he was tied. Wormtail's fast, wheezy breathing was growing louder again. It sounded as though he was forcing something heavy across the ground. Then he came back within Harry's range of vision, and Harry saw him pushing a stone cauldron to the foot of the grave. It was full of what appeared to be water. Harry could hear it slopping around, and it was larger than any cauldron Harry had ever used, a great stone belly large enough for a full-grown man to sit in. Uh, The thing inside the bundle of robes on the ground was stirring more persistently, as though it was trying to free itself. Now Wormtail was busy freeing, uh, busying himself at the bottom of the cauldron with a wand. Suddenly... There was crackling flames beneath it. The large blah, blah, blah. Uh, da, da, da. Where the hell is it? 
I don't know. I just found it. You know. I'll oh, be, here it okay. is. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it was as though Wormtail had flipped over a stone and revealed something ugly, slimy, and blind. But worse, a hundred times worse. The thing Wormtail had been carrying had the shape of a crouched human child, except that Harry had never seen anything less like a child. It was hairless and scaly-looking, a dark, raw, reddish-black. Its arms and legs were thin and feeble, and its face, no child alive, ever had a face like that. It was flat and snake-like, with gleaming red eyes. The thing seemed almost helpless. It raised its thin arms, put them around Wormtail's neck, and Wormtail lifted it. As he did so, his hood fell back, and Harry saw the look of revulsion on Wormtail's weak, pale face in the firelight as he, as he carried the creature to the rim of the cauldron. For one moment, Harry saw the evil, flat face illuminated and the sparks dancing on the surface of the potion. And then when the Wormtail lowered the creature into the cauldron, there was a hiss, and it vanished below the surface. Harry heard its frail body hit the bottom with a soft thud. Let it drown, Harry thought, his scar burning almost past endurance. Please, let it drown. Oh, man. I mean, you, you, you just can't get any better you can't. than that. You can't. Even though you have no idea what this thing looks like, you in your brain, you're getting an idea. Oh, you, you're getting a feeling. Uh, you're getting something. And it's telling you uh, that... Uh, that whatever whatever this is, it ain't good. No, and obviously, you know, what's interesting is as we go forward and we learn more about Horcruxes and the dark arts and, and books and things that like really books aren't really written about, makes you wonder, <clears throat> was this potion that brought this baby like Voldemort to life, is this something that Horace Slughorn told um, our, our wee little Tom Riddle about or was it in a book that maybe he referenced like I feel like this is like the final bring yourself back Horcrux step uh, yeah absolutely like here's how you come back the Horcruxes keep you alive they like you know tread water for yes. a little bit and then you do this bippity boppity boo and you're back just make sure the cauldron's big enough for you <laughs> or is it gonna look like those babies in pumpkin pictures <laughs> you know the ones in the jack o sticking out yes. <laughs> oh, oh that's funny oh so that's that Marvin you got anything else you want to say about this chapter All right, so listen, ladies and gents, we actually have a hot out right now. We have to get going to go pick up our children, so we do not have a different perspective for this episode. What? No, we don't. Oh, no, we don't. That's right. Our it's kids have after school art. That's right. I forgot about that. I got you. Okay, never mind. We can do a different perspective. Okay. I just looked at the time. I'm like, oh, we got to go. Yeah. All right. All right, let's go. Different perspective time. Mm -hmm. Holy cricket. You're Harry Potter. I'm Hermione Granger. And you are... Cedric Diggory. Oh, Cedric, you've had better days. <laughs> Get it? I'm dead. <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> I just stared at Blake, blankly. <laughs> Mary, that was savage. <laughs> Holy smokes. Who the heck am I going to be, Nagini? There's only three people in this chapter. Well, you, Five of you include the snake of the dead person. I know. You, you've been a lot of different I things. I know. This is not a Nagini-worthy chapter. 
Cedric's last stand. That was savage. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Dropping the hammer on all the Hufflepuffs out there. Oh, no, I, I gave him his moment. Oh his man, moment. you're welcome, Blake. Oh, good job, man. You can always count on me. <laughs> all right, uh, kiddo. Oh man, what what a different that. That different perspective is that's an all timer right there. You're welcome. Oh, that was good. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about this chapter? Any other ideas, thoughts? No. Communiques. He's back. He's back. He's back. That's my son. Oh man, how crazy must Harry feel when everyone's like, "Yeah, nah, nah, he ain't back." Like later on. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, but like a lot. That's why we're gonna visit in the next few, the next book. I know, but I'm just saying. Like, think that you just saw this kid get killed in the worst way. Like they've been talking about unforgivable curses this entire book, mm-hmm. and you get the unforgivable curse, like the one, like the 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 base of the entire unforgivable curse credo. I'm just picturing if Harry Potter took place during TikTok time, and there were people who were like, no. The earth is flat. The earth is flat. Don't believe Harry Potter. Voldemort oh, is not don't back. Don't get me started on flat earth. I know, well, that's why I wanted to bring it up because I know how you feel about it. Oh, I was people. Um, <laughs> just did like deny science. How do you like, how do you deny science? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking flat earth. I know, Blake. I know. Well, there you go, folks. Oh, man. Flesh, blood, and bone. Bone, bo- Oh, speaking of which, yeah. uh, we actually have a special song to go out to, so we're going to listen to it for a little bit. We do. Yes, we do. I sent oh. it to you in Messenger. Okay. This is this is what's fun when you're married to someone and you have multiple ways of communicating. Um, they may not always get your memo via, via email, yeah, text, I'm Facebook, emails. real life, snail mail, um, <laughs> you know, inter- inter-department memos, the little airplanes i'm waiting for maybe an, an owl, owl to come i know like i'm surprised you didn't get this well i'm actually quite happy because i was nervous you were actually gonna listen to it ahead of time and i didn't want you to oh so there it is it says please play at end yeah you're welcome <laughs> i open at the close okay okay well I, I, you gotta let me get to it here hold I on open at the close you're welcome number three okay it said doesn't it say flesh blood and bone yes okay so take your headphones off so i can listen to it a little bit too okay hold on I'm here we go off. friends we're gonna listen to flesh Blood and Bone by Harry and the Potters. No, it's only a free. It's only when we do a free. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Find it on YouTube. How do you not have music? How do you not have Apple Music? I have Apple Music. Because I, I don't have Apple Music because you got Apple Music. No, it should be just shared across all devices. Uh, all right. Fun facts, friends. If you're if you or your children like to listen to the audiobooks with Jim Dale, this chapter took about twelve minutes. Uh, no fun accents in this one, alas, aside from Voldemort's. You, you know, know you, you, me. Oh, you could, me. You couldn't. I tried to do something simple. I thought that you might like a closing song. I would love the I closing found song. The closing idea. song. Literally the name no, it's not of the title of this. How about Amazon Music? Oh, have, is this it? Hold on, let's see. Might be a live performance. Yeah, this is it. You were just a, a freaky baby Looking up at the stars Planning revenge on your enemies Flesh, blood, and bone Is enough to bring you back Flesh, blood, 
went, went listening to the whole. It's three minutes long. <laughs> Maybe if you just communicated in one way. I'm not an owl. We gotta close out the show, okay. Matt. Oh, on this note, friends, if you want to listen to Harry and the Potters, why are you whispering? So people can hear the song that you're making. I just turned it down. Over. Oh. <laughs> So people will lean in even closer to their earpods. Well, um, yeah. I'm joking, Blake. I'm joking. People won't lean in to their earpods. <laughs> um, on that note, friends, my name is Mary. My name is Blake. Mischief managed. I still get your song. Mischief managed.